Welcome to another episode of Mipe Story. This fortnightly podcast brings you audio versions of short stories from Kenya and across our African continent. I'm your host, Kevin Wachiro. And on this episode, we are featuring Josie's Calling by Mabel Mnensa. She is back. It has been over two decades. Her voice shows no sign of time past. Somehow it sounds clearer than before. Makeba, Gogo says. Just three syllables. The ones I have only ever heard from her. Makeba. Me always the shadow to come after it. The name making people assume I am bigger than I am. After the accident, Gogo had gone silent. But now she is back, and the lump within my chest is growing, threatening to balloon and burst. I know this is not something I should mention to anyone. I am my gogo, so people say. They see her in my walk, the way my lips slope to the left when I smile, the way my hair, no matter what, always coils tightly into little clusters, and the way people just feel the need to tell me what is nestled deep within their darkest corners. Down to my nervous energy, we are the same person. A day before I was born, she was on a bus passing Bite Bridge that swerved to dodge a goat. That one move caused the 43rd accident on the South Pansburg Mountain Pass that year. Everybody but my gogo, at the age of 45, with her first granddaughter on the way, who she had named Makeba after her favorite artist, survived. My gogo, who had survived a two-year stint in Banda's prison for saying the truth to the wrong people, and who was in line to be the chief of her family village, was lost to the mountains. Her body never found. From when I could remember, I felt her spirit close. I imagined I heard her talking to me in Pata Pata, or the Soweto blues that my dad played on the days he also seemed to disappear into the mountains, leaving a sagging, nodding, foot-tapping shadow of a man in his seat. It was only when I turned eight that I actually heard her for the first time. It was when we were still one happy family, staying in the flat in Hillbrow, the same one that Gogo had been on her way to visit. Makeba. Still. Clear. Ma! I shouted back, hands in the basin that were washing dishes, pausing as if it would help me hear better. Makeba! Makeba! Yes? I shouted as I ran to the living room. What? My mom asked. You called? Silence. My mother snapped. Stop playing around and go finish washing the dishes. In the days that followed, I heard her. Still and clear. At home, at school, at the park and everywhere in between. I thought nothing of it. But my mother began to worry. Baby, come here. Tell me, how does this voice sound? I don't know. I replied. How does one describe an angel? I wondered. The deep lines furrowed between my mother's eyes forced me to think harder. I thought of Ma Agnes, whose skin like a prune seemed to have shriveled with time. 
Her bronze skin gleamed in the sun as she sold spinach, pumpkin leaves, and other green vegetables, which we could not find anywhere else. She carried with her the memories of all those who ran from stories. Too heavy for them to bear. You saw it in the way she smiled and carried herself. My highlight walking from school would be stopping by the corner just past the park where I could see her sitting, surrounded by her green leaves. Ma Agnes felt like home. I used to chat to her about this and that, and no one minded, until that moment when she had laughed at a statement I had made and looking at my mother declared that I was special, just like her grandmother. She added, smiling. You knew Gogo, my Agnes? People say I am my Gogo, I said proudly. My mom exclaimed, grabbing me. She marched us away, leaving behind the bunch of spinach my Agnes was placing into a plastic bag for us, and mom told me to never talk to my Agnes ever again. I tried not to, but when I was with dad, she would smile and say, Makeba the syllables rolling out heavily, slowed down by the accent that marked she came from beyond the borders. And before I knew it, we would talk and laugh about nothing. You know that lady who sells spinach who you said I must stop talking to? The voice that calls says my name the same way she does. Maybe, I replied, wanting to ease my mother with some sort of reply. The lines between my mom's eyes just got deeper. Her face was a message board, flashing her displeasure loudly. I wished I could disappear into my school jersey. When my father got home, mom pulled him into the kitchen and they began to whisper in Chichewa, thinking that I did not understand a word. I followed but tried to stay out of sight. Mom's face was scrunched into a ball of worry. She is coming back to get her, Paul, is what I think she said from the words I heard. My father shook his head. You know her and her juju. I heard that was why she kept getting into trouble with the police back home. Why was your mother coming that time anyway? Now this? She is coming back for her unfinished business, and I do not like that vegetable lady. Why is she still talking to Maké? Just like your mother. I do not like her. I told you that. I stepped back, wondering if mom was indeed saying Gogo was coming to steal me. I must have gasped as they all of a sudden noticed me. My dad, pursing his lips, whispered, Ay, ah, my, ah, ma, ke. Enough now. That's my mother you're talking about. Stop acting like you're from the Bundus. You should know better. He ended the conversation. Switching to English, he smiled at me. How was your day, Makeba? He hugged me and carried me to the living room, just the way I loved, over the shoulder like I was a bag of maize being stolen in the night. I pretended to fight, wiggling and giggling. He threw my delirious self gently onto the kitenge-covered couch and crouching in front of me, asked about my day. Mom followed us into the living room. Makeba, Mom whispered, please do one thing for me, baby. Let it go. Dad sighed, joining me on the couch. 
Mom took his hand into hers. Shaking, she begged, just one thing, Paul, please. Dad sat back and nodded, his fingers twirling his short beard. If you hear anyone say your name again, me, Dad, your teacher, Sethu, your other friends, your gogo, you do not say yes. You do not answer. If it is us, you come to us. Okay. But if you are calling me, how will you know I heard you if I don't say yes? You come to us, baby. I rested my head on my dad's shoulders, thinking. Wait, why did you say go-go? Dad got up and headed out the door. Come, Nana. I ran after him as he took out the white, still-hot mounds of Nsima that Mom had put in the purple Tupperware bowl for him. I forgot about that conversation. Until the call came creeping up to me one day as I was walking to school with my best friend Sethu. Makeba! The voice was not still. It sounded shook and felt close. Closer than ever. Sethu did not look back. I wondered if Gogo was indeed coming to get me. My heart fell into my tummy and took my breath with it. I started walking faster. What's the hurry, Makeba? Sethu asked. Why do you like having me run after you? Hurry, Sethu! We need to be in front of the line at school. When we go to the zoo, I want to sit at the back of the bus. Makeba! She sounded disturbed, as if she were in danger. It was so clear, it sounded as if it was coming from within me. I picked up my pace. Sethu turned back, and as she did, seeing a taxi coming towards us, she moved. Makeba! Was the shout Sethu or Gogo? After speeding across a red light, an Alexandra-bound taxi was slightly chipped by a truck and only stopped after knocking me over. My gray school skirt caught in between its tires. Sethu, untouched. I lay on the road. I looked up and there Gogo was. I just knew it was her. She had dad's smiling eyes. Staring into them, I saw her getting onto a bus, back straight with poise. After having her passport checked at Bightbridge, none of the immigration clerks were able to look into her eyes. She settled into her seat on the bus, looking out into the window, content, calm and still. She watched as the monotony of the dry, arid landscape was disrupted by the growing mountain range in the horizon. Then I saw it, or felt it, a shake, then a scream, and then worlds shattering into pieces. Makeba, so soft. A gentle purr. Gogo? I wanted to get up and hold her hand, but then I felt a shock go through my body. Be careful and listen. I heard as I was dragged up by a shock. I sat up. She is up! She is up! Mom cried. I was in a bed, in a room with lights too bright. A hospital. Mom hugged me, tears running down her streaked face. Thank you for choosing me, Makeba.
Mom cried. How are you, Maké? I heard Dad whisper from the other side of the bed. I smiled, happy to see their faces. I drifted off to sleep, but could still hear Mom and Dad's sharp and clipped whispers into the night. Mom kept repeating that Gogo was close and was going to take me away. Dad dismissed her every statement, asking for logical reasons and reminding Mom that his mother was dead. The whispers went back and forth, linking into each other until they became a thick hedge between them as they tried to show the flaws in the other's thinking. The hedge became so thick they could no longer hear or see each other. The hedge became too thick for their fading love to overcome. That was the last time we could all be in the same room again. Weeks later, when I got back home, all traces of mom were removed from the house. Dad said she needed space, so she was staying in Virenihing, where she had found a new job. And just like that, I lost all sense of my family. As soon as I could, I also left my dad. I left home, but only because I could no longer stand Johannesburg. Yet despite that loathing, try as I did to wipe the lingering yearning for Johannesburg, I felt myself wanting to return, even though I had made my life in the southern suburbs of Cape Town. I even convinced dad to join me in Cape Town for good, telling him to heed the call of the mountain and sea. I would trace the scars mapped across my body by the taxi and the hot blazing street to remind myself why I should not return to Joburg. I wondered why I yearned so hard to be back in a place that ripped me apart, leaving scars that spoke louder than my name. Try as I did, I could no longer resist the pool. I quit fighting it. Now at 30, I am back. Home. I wish I could forget why I never replied whenever I heard my name called. I wish I could forget why I prefer to be called Make with an accent on the E, like you call your Zulu neighbor. I shrug. I shrug and say Juju when asked by my best friends about this preference. If poked further by a love close by, I would say it was my culture. You never say yes when you hear your name just in case you were agreeing to whatever anyone was conspiring against you. Some shrug. Some try to argue the merits of this. But it is what it is. I always say closing the topic. Mom, not over the accident, made it clear in our family WhatsApp group that she was not happy about the move. We cannot let your little superstitions stop Makeba from getting the job she has been working towards all her life. Dad had said. She needs to be in Joburg. She's a big girl who has dealt with bigger things. I wanted to add, well, he raised me and did not run away to London like you, Mom. So he knows best. But I did not. Dad says I come from a lineage of greatness. And we do not do petty. Mom said no more unable to find the words to explain how strongly she felt about my move. Now that the yearning has won, I am here, but I am finding being in Johannesburg weird. Though now unfamiliar to me, Maboneng, my current home, 
gives me a tinge of feeling more connected to the Joburg that I remembered. Jeppe Street and its surrounding streets, now a constant place of light. Even if before it was merely an area we rushed through, looking over our shoulders, pretending to not hear the slender never gets tired calls. The leering men with quartz in hands are replaced by the woke brothers and sisters identical to me. Feeling smug and safe, thanks to the security guards looking on closely. It feels as though I have been apart from this city for so long that I am afraid I do not know how to belong anymore. And I am struggling to breathe. On a chill Thursday afternoon, in the search for a more intimate familiarity, I finally accept Sethu's invite for day drinks in Greenside. It is when I am about to get into the Ray Via bus to Greenside that I hear her. Makeba. Go, go. So clear, so close. The intimacy scares me. I had forgotten how fast it was able to course through my body, filling every inch with fear. Seeing me take a step back, the bus driver reignites his engine, and his door closes in my face. Tired, I take out my phone and order an Uber. I am lucky to get a driver, Fatima, who understands silence. Until we pass the bus that left me behind. It has swerved and ground into the pavement. I strain my neck as we pass by, disbelief pumping through my body with my deep breaths. A big branch crashed through one of the windows. No one is hurt, but I notice that the branch and all the shattered pieces of glass have landed on the seat I always gravitate to, first one behind the driver. I'm sorry, I am changing my destination. The park in Berea, please. Not sure of the exact road, but I put Ponte City as my destination, as it is right by the corner. Do you stay there? Fatima asks. No. Oh, are, are you meeting a friend? She asks, taking a moment to look at me. At that park. The insinuations are clear. Yeovil, Hillbrow, Berea have a reputation, and a girl like me with an accent... Who can afford an Uber is only going to a park in Berea for one reason, she thinks. I, I grew up there. I'm homesick, I reply. Home? Fatima says, her eyes still on the road. She is so quiet, I'm not sure if she's talking to me. Like animals injured in the wild, our hearts know where we need to be. To reset and tap into our true selves. I am not sure what to say and look out the window. Suffocated by the silence, I take my phone out and call Sethu. Hey girl, uh, sorry, but something came up. Can we do a rain check? I can hear the disappointment and resignation in Sethu's voice. She is not that surprised though. I say thanks to Fatima after asking her to drop me off at the entrance right in the middle of the beautiful park. A retreat, a theater, a playground for the restless souls of Berea. Memories I had drowned resurface as I wander through the park. Various phases of my early life flash by as I pass the park, and the many elements which have changed, yet stayed the same. The area with the swings, slides, and jungle gyms are the innocent pre-accident days. 
That was before I felt as though I was not made for the world. The grass areas with the benches under the trees, the basketball court, they all remind me of the active younger me. The girl who dared not to pause in case her thoughts would overwhelm her. As I walk through the gates of the park now, I do not know why I am here. Last time I was here, I was 14. But somehow it feels like this is where I need to be right now. This is home, perhaps. Through the overgrown grass, rotting benches, and passed out bodies, you can still see the hint of the park I grew up in. The basketball court I used to love is now a spot where bunking high school kids sit smoking weed. The hoops are gone, and the poles that remain are like the young, intoxicated boys struggling to stand up straight. I am tired, not caring about whether my cream pants will accumulate the remnants of whatever has stuck to the bench, I take a seat. I can feel my lungs clearing and my breathing becoming easier. Do you know why you struggle to breathe? I hear a voice beside me ask. Startled out of my thoughts, I turn to find the Uber driver, Fatima, sitting next to me. She is tall and younger than I thought. She is how I imagine Ma Agnes looked in her youth. I imagine there are thick natural locks underneath that she tendy wrapped around her head. Dressed in a dashiki and jeans, I would have thought she was an African studies lecturer at wits if we had not met in the car. I do not reply. I am feeling uncomfortable. She followed me. Sister. I did not realize how deep her accent was before. She must be from somewhere in East Africa. I was worried about you. This is not a safe area for girls like us, she says. I try to not wince. Grateful that she does not touch me or rub my shoulders the way some older women love to do. She respects my personal space. Seeing my blank look, she repeats her first question. Do you know why you struggle to breathe? Without realizing, I take a deep breath in and release. I cannot open my mouth to reply. So, she asks, because we know you do not have asthma. Sorry, do I know you? Her face softens and her eyes tear up, as if clouds have formed in them. Makeba, you do not need to know me. I am inconsequential. I am just here to give you a message. Before I can even ask her who, she whispers, You know who. I take a deep breath. I wonder if maybe I am getting high from the secondhand smoke. Makeba, or make as you prefer nowadays. You need to not be scared of what you hear. You were brought into this earth, to Joburg specifically, for a reason. And we will not take you away. And even then it will be with your consent. And it will not be violent. We are here to protect and guide you. I do not know how to reply. I wonder if she can read my thoughts. Yes, she smiles gently. You must be freaked out. It is okay. Just listen carefully. You need to let go and listen. She pauses and looks at me. 
Her smiling eyes remind me of Ma Agnes and Gogo. And ask those questions you have been too afraid to ask. Then you will be able to breathe. I close my eyes and listen. I need to take a few seconds to process everything. I should be afraid. I am in Berea. Where dreams come to die, some say. But I am at peace. I hear the bouncing ball and rubber soles squeaking on the cracking asphalt floor of the basketball court. I hear the collision of the different languages of children from families whose stories, heavy and loaded, found them one way or another within the hustle of Johannesburg. I can feel the warmth of her body. It reassures me. I hear the cars in the distant road. Yet I don't hear what I seek. Makeba. I snatch an echo of my name. It is said so lightly. No longer the burden I have been lugging around my whole life. Makeba. I feel Gogo close by. A calmness I have never felt courses through my body. I know that the calling of my name was never a thing of malice. I hear a whistle, a shout. I open my eyes. I am alone, on the bench. A soccer ball lands by my feet. Some of the boys have broken up into teams to start a little soccer tournament. I wonder how long I have been sitting on the bench. I throw the ball over to them, and with cheeky smiles on their faces, they wave thanks. I am ready to leave. I order an Uber. It connects me with a driver straight away. Fatima, again. As I wait, I get a message from Dad. Nana, at the airport on my way to see you. I think you have questions for me. Before I can think of how the message makes me feel, Fatima's car arrives and I get into the front seat. Again, she looks just like an Uber driver. Sister, you are fine? You got what you were looking for? I nod. Josie's Calling was read by Manya Nyamwea and written by Mabel Mnensa. Mabel is a poet and writer of fiction based in Cape Town. Since escaping corporate life in 2017, Mabel has collaborated with key South African literacy organizations, creating representative and exciting children's stories. She had her debut children's picture book published in 2020. Her prose can be found in published journals and short story anthologies. Mabel is currently in the process of completing a novel. She can be found on Instagram at Mabel Tandy. Tandy spelled T-H-A-N-D-I. Nipe Story is available to download on AfriPods, the platform for African podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts from. Please write a review and rate the podcast and tell your networks about Nipe Story. You can follow us here on SoundCloud, on Facebook, we are Nipe Story, and our Twitter handle is Nipe underscore story. Thank you so much for your support and thank you for choosing to listen to Nipe's Story. Nipe's Story is a finger piano production.